Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Funky Marketing Show. Uh, as you know, this is the show where I host different people with different opinions. But one thing that, uh, you know, that's a common for all of them is that they do some things that I consider as funky. So things that other people are not doing or have some opinions that other people are not having or they are just pure in, you know, no bullshit all the way. So uh, today I have a pleasure to welcome uh, a guy uh, which is uh, like really interesting, talks about lots of topics all around. Uh, and I figure out that one topic that we can talk about uh, is community-led growth. So, uh, I mean, we'll start with that, but we'll see where it takes us. So Join me in welcoming uh, Joel to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Yeah, man. Welcome. How are you? How are things? You told me that you are starting your day with, with being a guest on the podcast, then ending the day with hosting another one. Yep. Uh, so I host a podcast for Charla as part of my advising role for them. And so I'll be recording an episode this evening on community growth. So coming full circle today for me yeah yeah so, sounds good so i um i wanted to talk about community-led growth because it's um you know it's a topic that gets lots of attention these days and i often see it as you know the next big thing among all those other big things that people are mentioning yeah. uh but you know it's not new but somehow now it's in the center of the attention, especially, you know, when the buyer's journey have changed, when people are buying in a different way and those kind of things. But just give us all a little background of what are all the things that you are doing and why I'm talking about that with you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so a few things I do. Uh, currently, full-time job is a marketing specialist at a consulting firm uh, based here in Chicago. Outside of that, I have a few things. I already mentioned my advising role uh, at Charla, and as part of that is hosting their podcast called The Community-Led Growth Show, where I talk to community builders and rock stars, as I call them, on all things community-led growth and what it means at their organization how, and how they're achieving it. Um, so that's that one thing. Next is I'm a co-founder of a community, actually, along with um, two of my peers. And so it's called the Revenue Era, and we're focused on a specific group of marketers is our primary audience for it. So I'm actually building a community now, um, which is really interesting. And then the last one is um, working on another side of the project with one of my friends. So I have my hands in a few pots, but yeah. That sounds good. It's always good to working on something with a friends. That's how I, you know, when I started Funky Marketing, I always wanted it to be a community of people, not like forming an agency or consulting firm, which like, 
you know, but to work with people who are doing also other stuff and then we all combine to give to give the value. But I have two things to say. First of all, one of the people that you are creating the community with, Nick Bennett, is yep. also a good friend of mine. Uh, he was uh, also on the show before. Uh, and the other thing, did you know that there's a huge population of Serbian people in Chicago? Uh, I don't think I knew that specifically, <laughs> but I'm equally not surprised because we do have, um, like, I think it's 77 neighborhoods right now. And then I think that there's talk of adding the 78, actually. And so with that, you have, like, a plethora of diverse backgrounds. Um, and each neighborhood just kind of has its own, like, little feel and there are unique yeah. spots in it. So it's one of the really nice things about living here in Chicago, actually, is that I can go from Greek town to Little Italy to Chinatown to some just like good old American like bar food all in yeah. about 20, like 15 minutes. Yeah. So, and and yeah. also having having a wind <laughs> and, and sometimes cold, just like we have here in Novi Sad. I guess that's that's a thing that's common for both places. Definitely. So um, let's start with uh, maybe explaining a little bit what does it mean, you know, to do community-led growth? Yeah. Uh, so the way that I talk and I kind of believe in community-led growth is that it's the intention of letting your community kind of help guide your organization. And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of your product roadmap, but they should also have influence over it to a degree. Um, they, it doesn't mean that you don't actually take ownership and you don't take action as a company. It's just giving your community members, wherever they are, like more say in the process of do you need this feature yes or no is like what's top of mind in your role that you're struggling with that we can help you with or that you would love help with can we make intros can we do events like what type of content and programming can we do to support you are you looking to meet peers great should we be launching a mentor mentee program should we be doing like a one-to-one -one coffee chat um, and setting up those for everyone in our community. There are so many ways that companies and organizations can foster community, but the key is to really just let your community members tell you and kind of lead you down the path. You're of course gonna take the actions, you're gonna be the ones building out things for them, and you're gonna have to take ownership at times too where the community isn't going to necessarily say yes or no to something. You're just going to be like, it's a yes. And that's okay. But community -like growth in general is all about letting the community influence and kind of guide the path to your success. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I like to do with communities involving them even before we have a defined product or the service if it's possible. So basically, you know, if we know who we want to, to build something for, basically gather them around in one place and creating the environment, the safe environment when they can, you know, talk about the problems, talk about changes they're going through, you know, shared solutions, the way they are handling those things. And we are just following and seeing how we can actually help those people. 
and then you know when you have that basically you can come up not with just one product or one service but multiple products or services definitely and i think going off of that is like what you just touched on and it was covered during one of my episodes that i recorded relatively recently with the guest um which was during the episode with lloyd lobo over at boast.ai he was talking about that there are two kind of ways that companies typically build communities there's either community of product which is one think about it like salesforce or hubspot or um canva etc where it's around that specific product the other type is really around a community of practice practice excuse me so think about companies that have done that like gainsight um hubspot started off actually with a community for people who wanted to learn more about inbound marketing and marketing in general before their software is launched things of that nature so that's really where you're getting that community of practice is built in early and then they're rolling out a product later i think that those are a couple of successes of what you're talking about yeah yeah definitely i mean i'm always going back to to the drift uh, I think they started off with a, with a, I mean, on a community on a smaller scale, but, you know, because they're based in Boston and there's a lot of tech companies over there and, you know, there are lots of stories. One is that they started, you know, creating dinners for those people, inviting them, letting them chat, you know, finding out things. The second one is creating, you know, community of uh, product people. And then basically, you know, seeing that product people are, unsatisfied because nobody understands what they're doing outside of it. So let's try, let's go from there and then develop some things uh, further. But, um, you know, lots of examples of there. You mentioned some of them. I think it's not Jarvis, it's now Jasper. Is also one of the, the most recent ones. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but mm -hmm. basically AI tool to help you write better. But... Okay. Whenever you start using the tool, they add you to the to the Facebook group, to the community, when they do education once a week, when they test things, when they, you know, when they share best practices, give out the recipes, how people can actually better use the tool, then listen to the people integrated with other tools and, you know, all those things that, that uh, all the people that are relying on the community are actually doing. Gotcha. That sounds really cool. And definitely sounds like community like grow. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the best communities on, on Facebook related to the product that I have been a part of so far. Nice. I don't uh, think I've been on a Facebook group in a long time. Yeah. 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 I, I get that from people, uh, you know, mostly based in the U S because like here in this part of the world, yeah. we are still using Facebook. I mean, it's still yeah. bringing the worst in people, but people are still using it. Who knows? I mean, we, we bring the worst to the Twitter as well. So it's kind of, <laughs> but definitely more people business related are on, uh, on Twitter, uh, like based in the U S here, people are still using, for example, Twitter, mostly for the, for the politics, for daily topics mm -hmm. when they want, when they want nobody to, to know what they're talking about, you know, when they can go with a, yeah with a strange nickname or username mm -hmm. or, you know, have a different identity and just rant on some things. Yeah. As well. No, I get that. 
so so uh, what are some things that we need to think of before we get into the the this whole community stuff? So we, I, I guess one of the things that we need to figure out, you know, who we are as a as a company or just a group that is starting to do something. And then basically we see what do we want to do. And then we come up with a community, right? Not, you know, start with that. Or if you use the community as a, as a product and build around that, then it's, you know, a different story. Yeah. I mean, I think that what you said are both true. But I also think that there's kind of like a third path. Mm-hmm. Um, your de- your community can also develop and change. So I think that it, like when you're talking about community-led growth, if you start off, for example, with um, let's say your company XYZ and you're just getting into the community space at your company, and you decide to roll out like a customer community, something to think about for down the road planning is what do we name this? And I say that specifically because if it's just XYZ company customer community, then down the road, if you ever wanted to make it more open to your broader audience, your audience is always kind of going to think like, oh, it's of course directed to this community. So part of this is always going to try and sell me or it's always going to be kind of in the benefit of them, not in the benefit for me. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say like, it's really important to be intentional around the naming of your community when it's early. So either (laughs) you don't have to rebrand or if you decide to go that way, you and it ends up turning into a broader community in the long run, then you accept the fact that you more or less have to rebrand. So I think that that's like a key, like lesson along the way is just being intentional about many things. And while even if it's young and small, still planning for the future. Yeah, that that reminds me also also of the example that I mentioned, like, now now jasper yeah now jasper because they started as conversion ai mm-hmm. naming the, the product not the community but the community is a part of it then they needed to change that to jarvis because jarvis was the ai tool they they even had a a toy you know uh, a robot that's called oh, jarvis gotcha. but then they they grew too much then that marvel uh actually got they got marvel's attention so you know like jarvis is also the uh you know the robot in the movie actually the the suit the suit uh in the movie so they you know instead of going into uh back and forth on the court with the name and everything else they said we're gonna change the name again so they changed the name three times and, and you know that's why I don't even know now what's the real name of it. You know, okay. I mean I think that it's just like one of those things that like you got to give more thought when it's early than later, or else like what you just said, you're gonna have a confused audience, and that's not good at all. 
Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, on the on the other hand, if you look at what uh, you know, Dave Gerhard DG is doing, mm -hmm. DGMG Group, no brainer. Let's just start it out, and, and but he sticks to it. You know, DGMG Group. That's me. That's the group. Let's let's do something about it. Yeah, but I think that that's like intentional because he's also talking to marketers, and that's who it's for too. So I think mm -hmm. it worked when he was at like Drift. And I think as like his own kind of separate entity from his role there. And yeah. then it works now as his own company where he has community. He has um, the job board to support people looking for new roles and companies to help fill roles. Um, he's also, I believe, doing some consulting now at this time as well for some companies. So I think that like what he's done is pretty much like the modern day him and probably Justin Welsh are probably two of the biggest in terms of like successful people who've gone from killer roles at companies to having killer businesses um, that are essentially them and like living that financial freedom kind of dream more or less per se. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the situation with the side job actually became the primary job. Exactly. I mean, I think that there's that. And then you see other people who have held like amazing jobs and titles in such a world-class companies who have amazing consulting practices for various functions now, whether it's marketing, sales, et cetera. Um, so I just think that it's really interesting kind of seeing how community and your success in roles can now translate into a following your success in terms of building up your own business along the way and who knows maybe even hiring people so yeah yeah um so we have the purpose we have the name what's next we need to choose i guess the channel where we're going to build the community i would say research i wouldn't mm -hmm. say that i'd say research because you want to figure out and this is tying into uh, Robert's question that he had brought up of like a little bit ago um, about my thoughts on utilizing Discord on growing a community. My personal, personal views, I'm emphasizing the personal, of is course. I don't care where you build it. But the issue is you shouldn't care where you build it outside of the fact of are your customers there? whether you're talking about social media or an actual community that you want to like build and foster and have it an owned community for you. If your audience isn't there, then why are you forcing people to be there? I mean, that's a lesson that I know a very notable community like has gone through. Uh, they went to one platform, they realized that there were adoption issues, and then they ended up launching a survey to see how big of kind of an issue per se, this is, turns out the biggest thing that they heard was actually the platform itself. People just don't, weren't on there. So yeah. then they transitioned over into a similar platform and haven't heard a peep about it since. So I assume that it's all like hunky-dory and going well for them. But I would say doing research on where your audience is, getting to know them, getting to know their needs. So that also, as you think about building, wherever you build it, you're also thinking about how are tools 
and software and technology going to support the benefits of being a member of the community, create seamless experiences, create ease of use, create easy access, et cetera, so that members are gaining to as much as like as much value as possible from being a member of the community. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at it from a perspective I, I have been through with Daniel Zinkovich when he was building trenches. Uh, and he, it was basically, you know, he had a community on Facebook. I had community on Facebook and he was like, I prefer Facebook, but I'm going to do a survey and ask people to see, you know, because we want to build really big community of B2B marketers. So uh, I'm going to ask them and it turned out, you know, they go against his wishes. They they all want to be on Slack because, you know, they are all in different company channels, maybe different communities already on Slack. And it it's a channel that they want to be, you know, uh, as members of community. I mean, honestly, I'm a huge fan of building on, like building a community on Slack for a handful of reasons. But I think a primary reason is just the ease of integration and easy use. A lot of people are already familiar with it. I mean, it's a global product at this point, extremely successful. People love it for a reason. It's one of the most loved products probably ever built in B2B tech. And I think like for that, and then the ease of integration between so many other types of platforms, you can create really unique experiences, whether it's learning through having Guru, for example, connected into your Slack workspace, whether it's setting up unique onboarding automations, um, using different apps to just like deliver content from the community, actually to people's emails um, and kind of give them like a little summary of like, hey, here's what's going on in the community um, from some of your favorite channels. So I think that there are just tons of unique ways to build because of the way Slack has intentionally built its platform. Yeah, I, I those are all uh, you know cons for the for the Slack, and I loved it while I was working in Slack, you know. Mm-hmm. In but now when I have not that many companies that I work with in Slack, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like if you add me to a community in Slack, I'm members of trenches of RevGenius of others, like. I don't remember to enter the community unless, you know, you make me install it on the phone. Maybe I will enter sometimes, but most of the time I would just swipe, swipe right. And just, you know, not even read it, but just want to say that it's different from different for, for different people. And we need to find out what the target group that we are after. What do they like? It doesn't matter what you like, what, what I like. It's a matter of what people actually like and what's the most convenient for them exactly i mean i think and if you don't have any like conclusive answer start somewhere like you can always start somewhere and then ask feedback along the way because feedback um is like the greatest gift especially negative feedback because that's opportunities then for improvement to create an even better experience for members or partners or whoever are other stakeholders and groups of people like involved in the community that's really the best way and then from there you just keep going you keep upping your game you keep getting better 
and you keep delivering more value to each audience and making it a better experience. Yeah, agreed. Just to, to say to Robert and all the others that are listening, I think we have Luke Matthews coming to the podcast soon. So uh, he has built a great community on Discord. So we're going to talk more, more about how to do some things which are, you know, out of the box and then talk maybe deeper on that. They even have like a, like a bar on Discord when things are happening, when they have a gift competition, I don't know, all kind of crazy stuff going on over there. Uh, so tell me uh, now that we have the name, we have the purpose, we have done the research, we have chosen the channel. Now, what are some steps that we need to go over there and to have people on board and engage right away from the start? Because I think if we don't do that, if we don't have active people right away, we will lose it in the in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of a step in the middle is once you have the channel, think about the onboarding process. Yeah, and think about it not from what you think makes sense, but of like, like talk to your audience and say, hey, like if you know people, for example, personally, like who are in that audience, see if you can grab their time for 15 minutes and say, hey, if you join a community on X, whatever it is, does this general onboarding process or sequence make sense to you to help kind of get you from you're introduced to the community at zero and get marginally more comfortable, familiar, et cetera, with it by the end of it? And I think that some companies overlook it, uh, or communities, excuse me, overlook that part, as well as some go the extra mile so that it's almost like, how could you not feel prepared? Like you almost feel too prepared, but I'd rather see people feel too prepared and be like, wow, there are so many great ways to get involved here. There's this nice doc with all these helpful links in there. I just had this great onboarding call with a bunch of people who are just joining the community like me and got to meet some of them, et cetera, where it just creates like a great experience from day one versus kind of thrown in and what's going on here? Huh? Huh? <laughs> so I think that that's like a key step. And then from there, it's just really figuring out that onboarding process and then getting them in, as you were saying, uh, whether it's you're tracking people through content or your company already has a large audience and you're just starting off with community at this point, kind of a little later stage um, in your company's life cycle than others. So I think then it's just figuring out how best to attract the audience that you want in it and work on improving those conversions across different channels, um, as well as being different at times. Maybe for someone who you view as someone who's would be really impactful in the community, maybe you're going to try and like send them something special to say like, hey, here's a little gift and we'd love to get you involved in the community. I think it'd be a great place for you to add value and we'd love to have you involved. Hope to see you there. Something super kind of quick and brief yet still so meaningful. So. I would just kind of start with figuring out where they like what the experience you want to start from 
and build from day one is. And then next go kind of really heavy on almost like a demand gen mindset of yeah, how can you be super focused on converting at a high rate? How can you build an optimized funnel essentially, especially if your community is um, application or private where people need to apply? What's the turnaround time? Is it an auto send email or do you have to actually manually send an email? Things of that nature, I think are really impactful when you're building a strong community from day one. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Lots of stuff over there, as you said. So I'm always saying to people, we say tons of things in this episode. So it's always best to listen. And when the episode is, is finished, go back to the beginning and, you know, they just step by step to actually, you know, get all the gems that that Joel just said right now in this in this jam. Um, and I totally agree. And uh, I, I remember uh, I've been approached to join, I think it was big community, uh, but it was a totally honest approach and just like, hey, man, I'm creating this community here and, you know, uh, um, having these tasks for me, this goal to add, add that many people in a month, I have one more people to add. And I think you are the perfect fit for that. It's paid community. This is how much it costs. No bullshit. I'm not hiding anything from you. You know, I think you will be a valuable member. Go ahead. And I asked, you know, is it on Slack or no? <laughs> no, it's something else. I said, that's good. You know, and sometimes it's, it's you know, just that, just those things, and, you know, being honest and sharing, you know, what's there. I want you to be a valuable member of the community, all cards on the table. That's it. We have, you know, already installed uh, systems inside processes that will make you feel comfortable, that will, you know, get you familiar with all the people over there and get you on board in no time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of interesting, but you know, uh, and I see that step that you just talked about uh, onboarding people and having it done flawlessly. It's uh, I think one of the one of the reasons why that can make or break the community, especially from the start, like when there are so many communities over there, like. Do I start with a great experience or no? That's basically, if it's good experience, I always remember that, you know, that I started with a great experience. So even though maybe I'm not a regular member, I will come back, you know, just to see what's going on. Are the same people active again? What are the topics? Can I get involved when I have time and those kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would agree that like good experiences stick in people's minds. And I mean, like, it's experiences, it's people, are they having meaningful conversations? Because you can be in a thriving community, but if it's not really helping you, then you're going to spend your time in other places that are helping you. So I think it's just being, I think part of it is communities can't be everything to everyone. They have to be exceptional at I say max, maybe three to five things, probably closer to three than the five. Five if you're huge and you have a 
amazing community team to actually support being good at five. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of that, like you just have to crush what you're good at. And it, those people who want to learn more, be surrounded by people who are interested in learning that will flock to you if you crush it through content, education, networking, any other ways that you create to like even jealousize more or less that like those areas that you want to be known for that's a phenomenal but for those other things people are going to go to other places and that's okay you don't have to view other companies or communities as competitive i think like one thing that we were talking about at revenue era is there's a community in a what I kind of would call an adjacent field to our target audience. And I'm like, hey, it could be really cool if we did like a cross event between our two communities. Or there's another community that historically, um, at least my understanding of it, tends to lean towards more um, executive and more seasoned professionals in marketing which is awesome because I'm like, ooh, we could do kind of two different, like we could bring our two audiences together, have a really unique event because we have people who maybe are a little bit earlier and a little more junior than those people, but then it brings those two together to have a cool discussion on like people's perspectives from maybe that like VP C-suite level from this other community. And maybe it's more of like a director, manager, early VP on like our community that we're maybe bringing into the space. Um, so I think that there are just unique opportunities that can really like come from just being open to the fact that your community isn't going to be for everyone, but you can partner with other communities and create unique things. Like when have you ever heard of two communities really collaborating in a way like that? I would probably have to do some research, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree, and I think that's that's the great approach because because basically you as somebody who is owning and managing the community, you become the one that is just trying to do good by people that are in the community, and that that is the force that is making you you know search for the ways to connect with other communities, search for the ways to connect with, uh, you know, with different companies that are offering different products that can help them or, you know, or some services or whatever it is. But, you know, you have community over there, as we said in the beginning, you let them talk and you follow what's going on. You know, do they want to have, I don't know, subject matter experts that will give more approach to some niches, some industries, you bring them on. Exactly. I mean, I think that part of that is also that first part of what you had just said is like kind of coming from a place of good and realizing that you as like the owner of a community are serving those in your community. Like you always have to be, how is this impacting the member experience? Is it good or bad? How can we improve it? What are unique benefits to help differentiate our community from others? Like things of that nature. So you always kind of have to be iterating, talking to yourself, questioning yourself and talking to your community um, to help make it something that's really going to last versus something that's going to be hot for six months and then fizzle. So 
I would definitely say that a key piece is this, kind of like everything that we've talked about is just that asterisk of doing right by your community that you own and you serve. Yeah, that sounds very good. And I mean, you know, no matter if you are having a community as a product or you're having community as, a, you know, as built around your product or their service, basically the idea is that you are here to help people solve their problems and face the challenges that they are having. Sometimes you do it as a, you know, as somebody who is leading the community. Sometimes it's as a mentor and sometimes it's just listening to the feedback and improving your product or the service. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think that that's kind of like it, what you just said kind of touches on kind of the last piece of which we really haven't talked about, which is kind of like the engagement of like how you engage with your communities, which then in turn leads to the real last kind of part or at least the last step in the first round of this kind of cycle in my head of like measuring it um, and measuring the way, like how engaged are your members measuring the health of your community, all of those sorts of things. Um, so I think that those are two other pieces that want to put them in this kind of circle that we've been building throughout this conversation for our audience today um, and all the listeners that then you have like a full circle and it's just kind of then like repeat after measure. You always want to improve. It's similar to just um, any, whether you call it like ABM or demand gen program, you're always going to want to improve your percentages or improve your numbers, however you can, but you always want to see them go in the right direction. Even if it's half a point up, that means you did half a point better and making your members happier is the way I always kind of like frame metrics in my head. I'm like, did we make members upset or did we make them happier? Even if it's a half a point happier, we made them still on the happier side than upset with us. So, yeah. Sounds good. I, I, I love this measurement. And, and it's actually the feeling, right? The emotions. Well, I don't, it's, I'm not measuring like someone's emotions, but that's just kind of the way I talk about it in my head. And yeah, I mean, I you 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 really you actually it. cannot measure, you know, the happiness, but you yeah. can feel it and see it. Yeah, and I think usually if people are really happy and engaged in your community, those numbers are going to come through, whether you do surveys or um, if like for quantitative data, or if you're doing more qualitative and you're just speaking to people like a sample size, you're going to see those whether it's in the data or in conversations, you are literally going to see people, their body language lean in. That's a sign of engaging, being excited about something. Or like if they're leaning back kind of with their arms crossed, they're a little bit less engaged and maybe care a little bit less. Not always, but sometimes. So I think that like you will see the result in conversations. Um, and then from there, I just say in my head, I'm like, okay, we improved this metrics, but really what it's connecting to is we did better in terms of making our community members happier and like with us and with like the value that they're getting from being a member of our community, not necessarily, or at least opposed to being upset with us, which 
I really hope we're not making members upset. <laughs> so I hope nobody's making their members upset, frankly. But yeah. Yeah, but but listen, that can be a good thing. I mean, not if all of them are upset, but exactly. if there are a couple of <laughs> them that you can that you can turn around and they can be then the, the, the biggest advocate of what you're doing because you are listening to the feedback. Exactly. And that's exactly kind of what I said earlier of like, negative feedback is where the opportunities lie for improvement so like i'll say it again i'll say it louder for the people in the back i'll scream it from a rooftop here in chicago and hopefully everyone around the world will be able to hear it but opportunities for like improvement always come from negative feedback because if all you get are 10 out of 10s and no comments great they're happy but they're not telling you anything that you can take action on. Yeah. Whereas like negative people who have like a bad experience or like want something else or want more out of the community, they're often actually going to tell you that they want more and probably even more so they'll likely be open to having a conversation. If there's like a little box on your survey, this says like, Hey, is it okay if we reach out to you to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation to discuss this, like your points further, for example, something like that. If I would bet that probably more people are gonna be open to that if they're already sharing what they'd like to see in the community and like how it could be more valuable to them because they're a little bit more invested. They've already taken the time to write it for you. Now the next step is I would imagine and hope that these people would then be comfortable and open to a conversation to then help you actually execute it. And then like, kind of, as you were saying, kind of flip them from being someone who was maybe getting some value in the community, but isn't the biggest champion of it now into large champion because you rolled out some new benefit or you changed something that was a huge pain point for them, et cetera, and created a phenomenal experience and a phenomenal uh, community for them to be a part of. That's really helped them in achieving whatever the community is aimed at helping those people achieve. Yeah, and and I mean, look, if somebody is caring that much that they react even negatively, it means that they care. You know, for people Definitely. who are just you know maybe liking something, doesn't engage, don't engage in comments, whatever. Not only inside the community, it's for for LinkedIn, for Twitter as well, for all the other platforms. It me you don't know what they are thinking, but for those that are reacting, you know, and then you know they are those that you can use to kind of get to the next level. Agreed. I would only say a slight caveat to that is I do think that like whether it's in Discord or Slack or LinkedIn is actually in this category and Facebook um, is like how they have those other options besides likes. So I think you do yeah. get like a smidge of insight if someone just reacts by an emoji, because for example, you could have like a celebration channel for people in your community to share their wins. I don't expect everyone to comment on it. That would be madness, especially then if the person who's like, whose win is being celebrated were to then <laughs> reply to everyone's replies on that thread in like Slack, madness. But if a ton of your people react with like the cheers emoji of the two champagne class uh, glasses 
or the little emoji face with a party hat on it and the confetti kind of around it. Like these are all very positive things. So in that instance, like I think it's helpful. And I think that that's fine to just kind of measure something off of the reaction or on LinkedIn. Um, I do find it helpful to a degree if people actually like something versus celebrate it versus find it insightful versus like some other reaction or support it, I think is one of them. I'm not sure if there's another. Um, and same for Facebook, like they have all those different kind of emoji reactions now. Uh, so I think that those can help tell a little bit around sentiment and people's feelings towards it but it's definitely not anywhere on the same scale as someone commenting on it and saying, I agree with this and would also add X, Y, Z to this, or I disagree on this point, let's have a conversation kind of thing because they're initiating that conversation. Well, I guess engaging in your conversation because you started it by posting, um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember now the, the YouTube, you know, because they, they had dislikes and likes and basically it was the same for the platform and they just made people you know you can now dislike this but it's the same for the video and for the engagement when it comes to the terms of like measurements is the same but the platform gains you know like this is knowing how people are reacting and actually implementing that to your to your benefit maybe a bit manipulative but you know that's a different conversation Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> so a little it's, early here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm drinking coffee and I'm still a, a bit sleepy because I woke up at 6 a.m. to finish something that you know I needed to ship to designers at yeah 8 a.m. So yeah. and because like yesterday I was uh, you know I just left everything, decided to go to the balcony, watch the sun, and you know get everything back because sometimes we need to do that oh definitely definitely but sometimes you just you usually end up paying the piper somewhere along the way so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so so tell me tell me one thing uh i'm interested in now that you're building the new community uh has it been something that you didn't expect but you were surprised that that, that it happened Ooh, something that i didn't expect but happened um, I think probably the biggest learning or like thing that's really surprised me is just like how much interest was in it. Cause there's so many communities that include kind of like, or say that they focus on like the entire revenue org, whether you talk about pavilion, rev genius, et cetera. Um, but like the community that. I'm a co-founder of along with Nick and Arthur um, is specific for a subset of marketing. <laughs> Maybe we'll have like, well, I know actually, we have some like RevOps and marketing ops people, which is kind of like an adjacent audience. And I think mm -hmm. is very necessary. Like if they want to be in the community, we're not turning them away for sure. Cause they're connected. They literally make the data run and the data work. So you kind of need those people in conversations, but equally there's like MO pros, for example, 
which is a phenomenal community for them. Like we're not trying to compete with MO pros and no, but we're also going to say like, Hey, if you want to be a member of MO pros to be with all your peers, but then you also want to be a member of our community revenue era to connect with the actual practitioners who you're supporting in your MOP, like market ops or revenue ops role. Like that's phenomenal. I personally am like blown away by that, but the overall like interest and demand from people has just been, I would say kind of surprising and what we've been live for maybe a month or just under a month now. Um, just a lot more people than I would have expected uh, to express interest in it and also see some interesting titles and be like, Ooh, that's cool. That like marketing ops and revenue ops, people like want to be in our community, even though that it's new, it's just starting off. Like, like I said, a second ago, we're just in our first month or so. Um, and we're seeing those people say and raise their hand that they want to be in this community too. Um, I think that that's a really unique and kind of fun thing that we've noticed throughout building it so far. Yeah, I think, and, and you use the momentum well, because, you know, like, I think it's maybe not the first, it's, uh, but actually, yeah, it started like a half a year ago. Now we're in, still in the first year, how we are communicating uh, the revenue more and connecting, you know, uh, different departments, marketing, sales, alignment around the revenue. Because before that, we, we couldn't measure it that well. We didn't have the technology, everything. Now we have it. And now like revenue seems like uh, the big word over there and something that everybody will agree on because like it's what business, what drives business. So, uh, and everybody wants to know more. Even if like, if I feel like if we have even far more communities, there will be enough people for all of them to kind of get deeper into the topic and find different opinions. You know, and, and I'm seeing that they're appearing some people that, you know, they, they say, you know, in a year, it will be gone. Like, you know, uh, this thing that we, especially marketing, like measuring around revenue, because, uh, and more or less, I agree with that because we cannot actually measure marketing in a revenue in a short run. It's in a long run. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, when we break it down into the smaller pieces, like quarterly goal, it cannot be the revenue if you're just starting, for example. Or, you know, there are different people, stuff, but all of them are affecting the revenue. And that's, that's a fact that, that must be, must be over there. But I'm saying this, that, you know, it can be lots of discussions. Then what yeah. I'm seeing also like sales role just renamed the revenue, not actually the, the changes happening inside the company. So that change still needs to happen, even though the role is renamed, the, the whole process in the way you look at it isn't changed. So there is also conversations around that change that is yet to be happened. So lots of stuff going on and lots of things to talk inside the communities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there are some things probably, <laughs> I'd probably slight, I'd dig into a little bit deeper that you just said. Um, but I mean, I think overall, like whether a community stays or gets acquired, or fizzles, like there's always going to be a space and a home for people, which is kind of like the most important part. I think we've seen great examples come up, especially more recently around like localization. 
um, whether it's a community being hyper local and really focused on supporting people in a specific area or region of the world yeah, good versus stuff. ones that are um, international and still great organizations and everything. But sometimes people also just want to learn from your peers who are a little bit more like you. Um, so I think that like we're going to see a lot of localization happen. I think we're going to see some communities get acquired or fizzle out um, probably in the next yeah. few years. So it'll just be a really exciting time to be in the community space and see where everything goes. Yeah, I, I agree. Those are all great topics to think about and to, uh, you know, because I've been trying to be a part of lots of communities that have also, you know, offline uh, meeting inside the chapters. But around here, around Balkans, there's none of them. Maybe it's London, yeah. you know, but it's still far away from where I am. And, and you know, because of that, people think, oh, let's create our own community for people mm -hmm. from this part of the world. And yeah. yeah, acquiring communities, I think this is the great topic to think about. And I think we're going to see it, uh, a lot of development in that space within 2022, even not, mm -hmm. not so, uh, you know, so much into the future, but even this year. I mean, we, we've already had the first example of a major community getting acquired not by another community, but by a product company, which mm -hmm. was Pendo acquiring Mind the Product, I believe is the name of the community. And I apologize to Pendo and the community if I <laughs> did get that wrong. I'm incredibly sorry. Uh, but they just pulled a page right out of like the book from HubSpot, who did it last year or two years ago, which was out of the book of originally, in my opinion, Outreach who started this off with yeah. Skills Hacker yeah. back in yeah. what, 2017, 18 or so. Um, so I think that it's just like, that's a trend that's gonna be interesting to watch just who's acquiring communities um, because, excuse me, other communities could be acquiring communities to consolidate and as a lever for growth of actual revenue in community um, and programming and such, whereas companies can be using it and acquiring communities versus building their own community. And community is, it's a tough thing to build. Um, you really got to be committed to it and devote really good resources to it. So I think some companies are going to think that they're going to buy a thriving community and just add more fuel to the fire um, and watch it explode and reap the fruits of the benefit or maybe multiple fruits of all the benefits for, from it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think we're going to have another conversation in a few months to see how things are developing and to kind of look back and see if we have predicted well. Um, so uh, first of all, thank you for spending an hour here with me yeah. and with the audience, uh, you know, nerding out about community. Uh, the second thing is, Tell me where can people find more information about you, about the community, and maybe, you know, get into the chat with you around those things. Yeah, uh, so I'm really active on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, my LinkedIn is just my first and last name, which will be made public with um, the recording and everything when it's live, Joel Premack. Um, and then my Twitter is jpremack25, I'm pretty sure. And there's a little lion emoji next to my name. Uh, so that's how you know it's me. 
Um, but yeah, so I'd say I'm active over there. Always happy to talk community on those channels or anything else like marketing related. Um, pretty open to talk about a lot of things, got a lot of opinions. So yeah, always happy to connect. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you, man, for for being here. Um, as I already said, go back to the to the start of the episode. Uh, digest everything slowly. You can put a stop, you know, when you need to. You don't need to digest everything at one time. Subscribe to the Vanky Green Show so you can get notified when we drop another episode. We are starting now to publish two episodes per week. Uh, with lots of great guests that can share, uh, you know, different insights. And uh, always one thing that I say for the end, um, keep it funky at least, at least a little bit. <laughs>